Hello and welcome to Behind Behind the Headlines with Mark Hyman with Ted Remington. Hey folks, it's Ted. Uh, I am back with another edition of Behind Behind the Headlines with Mark Hyman with Ted Remington. Uh, this time around, I'm going to be a little bit more informal than I was the first time around. I'm experimenting with the podcast thing, uh, trying to decide where this whole adventure wants to sort of be as far as a, a voice goes. And so last time I typed out a commentary and basically just read it verbatim for the podcast. This time I typed out a commentary and I'm just going to use it sort of as uh, speaking notes this time around um, and just sort of talk more informally and see how that works. I'll probably be experimenting with a number of styles and voices uh, for the first little while here to sort of figure out, again, where it just kind of wants to, where it wants to be as far as a voice for this project. Anyhow, uh, for this uh, second edition, uh, we actually aren't responding to Mark Hyman. We're responding to uh, Armstrong Williams, who's sitting in for Mark Hyman. Not sure if Mark's on vacation or, or what, but uh, Armstrong Williams uh, is a fairly well-known conservative commentator, and his his uh, piece for Behind the Headlines is about uh, the importance of characters, and it's entitled Character Counts, and you can find the link at uh, the, the blog itself, uh, my blog, behind behindtheheadlines.blogspot.com, uh, or you can certainly just uh, Google Behind the Headlines, and, and you'll get to, get to it that way as well. Uh, so basically, just in a nutshell, I'm not going to summarize the entire piece, but basically uh, his up, the upshot of it is he is critiquing what he calls lower class uh, culture and saying that it's sweeping the country and that it is undermining personal uh, integrity and character and is keeping poor people poor. And although he doesn't use the phrase African-American or black, it's pretty clear that that's what he's talking about. He talks about how uh, lower class culture uh, glorifies sports and, uh, and music and uh, how this is keeping uh, the lower class poor. And he mentions a couple times how he thinks it's wrong for anyone to accuse him of being condescending or, here's the key word, prejudiced uh, by calling this lower class culture out on its being uh, antithetical to, to financial and personal success. Uh, so if you read between the lines, it's fairly clear that he's talking about uh, what I might call gangster culture, uh, epitomized in, in rap and, and, and so forth. Um, and I, I recommend that you, you look at the actual commentary and read it for yourself. But that's the, the upshot of it. So my basic approach to doing this commentary uh, is to do two things. One is to respond uh, sort of as a, as a rhetorician, sort of critically to what I see going on uh, rhetorically in these commentaries by, by uh, Mark Hyman, or in this case, Armstrong Williams, and then uh, finish by responding more substantively to the actual content and giving my sort of take on that for whatever it might be worth. Uh, now, as a rhetorician, what strikes me most about this commentary is how big a role ethos plays in in this uh, commentary by Armstrong Williams. Um, in fact, in some ways, I, it would be tempting to use this as kind of a, an example uh, in a class on rhetoric about the, the importance of ethos. Um, 
and it comes in a number of ways. Uh, ethos, by the way, is just sort of a, a fancy word for the credibility of a, of a speaker, whatever he or she brings to the actual performance of the, 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 the writing or the, the speech that suggests a, a sort of authority or credibility on whatever subject they're talking about. Now, the first and most obvious thing here is Armstrong Williams is himself African-American, right? So if you put the words that he uses in this commentary in the mouth of a white guy like Mark Hyman, instantly uh, the speaker is going to be open to criticism of being racist, of being bigoted, of being prejudiced. But obviously, if the speaker himself is African-American and if he is at least tacitly critiquing African-American culture, although, as I say, he doesn't actually use that term, um, then obviously he has a certain gravitas or, or credibility. You can't simply say, oh, well, he's just prejudiced, uh, because he is, uh, in some sense, within the community that, he, that he's critiquing. Um, he's obviously distancing himself from that part of African-American culture, but it's obvious that you can't just sort of play the the, the bigoted, prejudiced guy card uh, with an African-American speaker the way you could with a white speaker. So that's important, and it gives uh, gives Mr. Williams a, a credibility that Mr. Hyman wouldn't have if he was given the exact same uh, commentary. But there is another side of the coin with this ethos thing, and that is that uh, he kind of undermines his own ethos with his words. Uh, and there's a number of ways he does this. Now, the most obvious thing is simply that the writing itself isn't terribly good. Uh, there's a number of problems that pop up. The most obvious one is right out of the right out of the gate, he makes a grammatical error. He substitutes "I" for "me" uh, in an ungrammatical way. That's a small issue, and we can just write that off as, as sloppiness on Mr. Williams' part as well as those of his editorial staff. Not a big deal, but again, given the fact that he frames the entire commentary in terms of his own personal credibility, it's not a, a small thing when he's accusing other people of being ignorant and, and uh, clueless to make a basic grammatical mistake in your first sentence is, is a problem. Uh, if you're relying on your own credibility to carry the day rhetorically. But let's let that slide. There's other problems that are more difficult to deal with. Uh, in particular, there are a couple of times where his actual language just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So, for example, early on in the commentary, he says that there is an absolute lower class culture sweeping the country. Well, what does that mean, absolute lower class? Is he, does he really mean there is absolutely a lower class culture sweeping? Does he, did he mean to use the adverb and not the adjective? Uh, hard to say. Does he mean that it's absolute in some sort of uh, sense of measurement? That is, that there are many lower class cultures, but this is the absolute lower class culture that is the lowest of the low. Maybe my suspicion is that he's doing what I see a lot of first-year college writing students do, which is to just, instead of making a strong argument, just reach into a grab bag of, of modifiers, adjective, adverb, whatever, and grab an intensifying one and whip it into your writing as sort of a, a proxy for actually making a good argument. So that's, that's a problem. 
Uh, later, towards the end of the commentary, he actually says something that's even, to my mind, harder to wrap my brain around. Uh, he says that if you are someone who disagrees with him and finds that his comments are condescending to people in this lower class culture, that you have uh, fallen into a middle class trap. Now, again, I don't know what that means. Is this is it a trap that's meant to capture, to ensnare the middle class? Is it a trap set by the middle class to catch other people? Is it a trap that has characteristics of the middle class? Does it live in a beige house, have 2.2 kids, drive a minivan, and like to go to Applebee's on the weekend? I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure that Armstrong Williams knows. Again, it's just sort of one of these empty phrases that doesn't really seem to point to anything. Um, so those are the most obvious writing issues, and there there are some other ones in there, but uh, I'm... I already know that I'm at uh, risk of, of running long on this one because there's so much to go into, so I'll just leave it there as far as the the actual writing nuts and bolts in it. There is another issue of ethos, though, and probably at least a couple more that I'd like to touch on before getting into the actual uh, an actual sort of counter-argument. Uh, and that is there's a, a deeper issue with Armstrong Williams' credibility because if that name rings a bell, Armstrong Williams... You might remember from a few years ago during the Bush administration, Armstrong Williams was at the center of a controversy where the Department of Education under the Bush administration paid Williams to shill on behalf of the No Child Left Behind Act. They paid him, in fact, close to a quarter of a million dollars to, uh, in his various uh, opinion of forums, uh, in his columns and on his, uh, I think he had a radio show at the time to talk about how great this No Child Left Behind thing was. It was sort of this, uh, propaganda payola thing that he was involved in and he, uh, rightly got taken to task for that. So having someone who basically pimped himself out, uh, to the previous administration as a shill for one of the policies is someone who's got a problem when it comes to credibility, right? Uh, it's, it's, his motives are automatically going to be in question no matter what he says given that major misstep where he was commenting on something not because he believed it necessarily but because he was getting paid uh, a bazillion dollars to, to do so. So that, there's, a, there's a problem. Uh, there's another thing that also ties into rhetoric that I, I like to talk about. Towards the end of his commentary, again, when he gets to that point where he talks about the middle class trap, he says, and I'll quote him here, If you choose to call my comments condescending, you are falling into the middle class trap of making excuses to avoid criticism from the liberal establishment that uses the lower class as a power base and a podium for its own agenda. Now, there's the obvious question of, well, is everyone who might disagree with him who think that he's, thinks that he's being condescending really worried about what the liberal establishment is going to say about them? I, I don't think so. But let's, again, there's so many <laughs> targets here. Let's take a pass on that and let's get into the, the, the more specific issue, which is rhetorically, what is he doing here? Well, there's a, a rhetorical figure called uh, prokatalepsis, which is basically anticipating what your opponents might say and kind of trying to head them off with the pass. This is, in fact, a good thing to do. I, I teach my students how to do this all the time in research papers. That is, I ask them to 
think about what a skeptical reader might say about their essay and then anticipate their arguments and and respond to them ahead of time. And that's so that's a good thing. The problem is that he relies, rather than making an actual argument, anticipating these counterviews, with this sort of ad hominem kind of attack. And, and the rhetorical figure here is uh, metastasis, which is you know, the same word that we use to talk about cancer spreading, um, which is a technique where instead of actually giving a reasoned counter-argument, you simply kind of dismiss out of hand your opponent's point. You just sort of turn your back on it and say, that has nothing to do with me. I'm not even going to deal with it. It's not even worth worth taking up. Um, so, and he's, that's what he's doing here. He's he's saying if you th- disagree with me, then you've got a problem. I'm not going to say why you have a problem or or in what way you are mistaken about this, other than just to sort of say, wow, you've really got been taken in. So it's to use a more kind of over the top extreme form of this. It would be like me saying. Me making the argument the moon is made of green cheese, and if you disagree with that statement, then you obviously have an unnatural relationship with your mother, okay? So you're trapped there. That is, if you say, why don't I disagree with that, uh, you've then got to take on this this extra accusation that, which is <laughs> completely unrelated to the, the topic at hand, that you have this strange, bizarre relationship with your mother, Uh the point here is that that kind of tactic is not a substantive response, uh, and it's it's antithetical to critical thinking. It's something that is is making the claim that anyone who disagrees with me can't possibly be doing so for rational, reasonable reasons. It's one thing to say I'm right and you're wrong. It's another thing to say I'm right and not only are you wrong, but you're wrong because you're stupid and misguided, not just because you've looked at the evidence in a different way and have a different opinion. Um, those are two different things. The first way is is one that honors the idea of critical thinking, seeing that people can have honest to goodness differences of opinion uh, without giving up the idea that one might be right and one might be wrong. The other one is antithetical to critical thinking by saying that anyone who possibly disagrees is a moron. And again, this is something that I see all the time in first-year college writing classes, at least from not terribly good students, frankly. Um, and so it's it's fairly common, but you know, one would expect that a, a practiced uh, public speaker and writer like Mr. Williams would would be above that, but but not so much. So as to the substance of the commentary, uh, I want to well let me begin by saying what my main problem is, and that there's I have a problem with the underlying thesis of his piece, which is that there is somehow an intrinsic connection between moral character uh, and and basic values as a person and financial success. I, I, in fact, I don't think anyone actually believes that, even Mr. Williams himself. Uh, this idea that somehow uh, moral rectitude and personal character uh, and financial success are somehow inextricably linked is a fallacy. And I don't think anyone believes that those two are in fact connected. We all can think of people who we've known that have been hardworking people, who are good people, who have been, for a variety of reasons, cheated up and spit out by the economy and, and haven't done well, not because they aren't decent people, but because circumstances have, have gone against them. And we sure can think of people who have succeeded beyond anyone's wildest dreams, who are richer than Croesus. 
who have gotten there not only be, uh, despite having little or no personal character, but oftentimes because they have no personal character. And again, you can think of uh, you know the, the people like Bernie Madoff and, and, and so on who have made gazillions of dollars uh, precisely because they have uh, taken a pass on, on personal responsibility and ethics. So I don't think anyone really believes that those two are, are, are necessarily connected, even though Williams states it categorically at the beginning of his, of his, of his talk. That's the underlying problem. But what I want to do is get beyond just sort of a tit for tat kind of thing and, and see if there's a way of taking Williams position and coming from my very different position to see if we can find some common ground or something that we can agree on to move forward. Uh, this is sort of inspired by my work with peace studies, nonviolent communication and the sort. So what I hear Mr. Williams saying is that he's really disturbed by how vulgarity and violence uh, and a lack of ethics is not only tacitly approved, but in fact overtly approved by some parts of our our popular culture. And I think we could all agree with that. I don't think there's any anyone who would disagree that uh, that they're entirely happy with the messages that are sent out culturally. Um, and certainly the the issue of of people taking short a short term view of life and uh, looking at passing pleasures and delving into those at the expense of, of long-term personal and and collective well-being is, is another problem that we as a culture, I think, have. Uh, and I don't think anybody would, would disagree with that. So there, I, I'm completely with Armstrong Williams on that. I, I have the same problem where, I guess, what I would do to add on to what he says rather than, than simply countering it is to say those very same problems are endemic to our culture Overall, I think it's I think it's limiting to say that those are those are simply uh, symptoms of a quote unquote lower class culture, whatever exactly Mr. Armstrong Williams means by that. I think that's a mistake. I think we need to talk honestly about how those things are a part of our culture in general. I think it would be easy, for example, to write a parallel commentary to Mr. Williams uh, that talks about the, the lack of personal accountability evidenced in high-class culture. And by that, I mean, you know, folks on Wall Street, go see uh, Inside Job, the, the Oscar-winning documentary about uh, Wall Street and its role in the financial collapse of 2008. You'll get just a really clear uh, setting forth of the lack of personal values and ethics among the high wheelers and dealers in the financial world, the people who are making millions upon millions of dollars. And they're the exact same problems that Mr. Williams is pointing out in, again, lower class culture or, or as I'm translating that, gangster culture. Uh, exact same things. The only difference is that with quote-unquote lower class culture, when people uh, take a pass on ethics and are willing to look out for themselves and it's a me-first attitude – it's a convenience store that gets knocked over or a pawn shop, something like that, that ends up uh, high and dry. With the people on Wall Street, it's the whole nation that ends up high and dry because of this lack of, of personal ethics and accountability. So 
I would simply say uh, in response to Mr. Williams, not that he's wrong, but simply that I would say let's let's take those ideas and broaden them. Let's look at the entire culture, uh, not just putting this on the quote-unquote lower class. Let's look at these issues of personal accountability as a whole. And let's, let's work towards a society where we all begin on an equal level. And it really is personal merit and personal work ethic and personal decency that leads people to move up in the world. Right now, we don't have that. Uh, as I said before, I think we all know that there are plenty of people who are hard workers who end up on the short end of the stick and plenty of people who have nothing to say for themselves other than who their mommy or daddy was who end up in uh, the highest places in the land, even the presidency perhaps, uh, who have gotten there through no personal qualities other than who they were, who they, whose son or daughter they are. So let's move towards that kind of culture. I think we can agree on this, people like Mr. Williams and myself, and I, I would hope all of us can agree that that is a worthwhile place to aim for, to aim to get to. We may disagree on nuts and bolts of how to create that society, but I think we can all agree that it would be a worthwhile place to get. And in that kind of society, it really would be one where character does, in fact, count. So that's it for this week. If you have any comments about uh, which format you like, do you like the sort of long-winded, rambly version? Uh, do you like the more tightly scripted version? Let me know. Uh, you can see a, a more tightly worded version of this in print on uh, my blog, uh, behindbehindtheheadlines.blogspot.com. Um, and until then, we will just let Eric play us on out. Take it, Eric. Eric.